everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with one of my favorite people, Aaron Gibson, author, comedian, writer, uh, co-host of Throwing Shade podcast and author, woman behind the forthcoming Feminasty, the complicated woman's guide to surviving the patriarchy without drinking herself to death. Hello and welcome. Hi, that's a it's a tough tag or a subtitle to get. I had it's to look tough it for up. me to say. <laughs> Try it. Say it. Feminasty, the complicated woman's guide to surviving the patriarchy without drinking yourself to death. There's too many consonants. Number one. By the way, I love the. T- I'm not trying to diss my own subtitle, mm-hmm. but I do. You see me have to think about it yeah. to even say it. It mm-hmm. doesn't roll off the tongue. It's a lot of necessary words that is just you got to get out. Right. If it weren't that, what might it have been? Like, were there other options you're considering? No, that was. I mean, there were some other ones, but they were so bad. It, I, this process, I wrote almost 300 title options. Oh, wow. And over 150 subtitle options. Wow. And the only reason that I have this subtitle is because I was in Dublin on my honeymoon at a bookstore and I went to the self-help section and I just stared at all the books and then I said, okay, I think I got one. And then I came up with that one. So this is stolen from books where the people are needing actual help or maybe it was inspired, inspired by perusing by. well them. nobody nobody um talks about drinking yourself to death right. on self-help books so yeah. that was definitely mine <laughs> <laughs> so um congratulations on the book thanks when does it officially come out september 4th i think you've done such a magnificent job it is educational full of facts but it reads like a fun memoir Ugh, that um, makes me so happy yeah it's really I'm trying to think of another book that I would it's hard to think of another book that does that. Like I I feel like I learned so much but I never felt like I was learning. That's the <laughs> trick. Yeah. Yay, that's what I wanted. I wanted people to start just to seeing and having conversations about different kinds of ways that women are marginalized that aren't the ones that you always hear about. Right. So where did you like, did did you walk around with all of this information in your head or did you do a ton of research for the book? Where did, how, how did this all happen? Well, I pulled a lot of the chapter ideas from, I looked at the, my Google Drive and I looked at all my throwing shade mm-hmm. shoes from the last, like, um, whatever, five years and I looked for patterns. And so then I thought, okay, well, I have like information on these topic. So why not start with these? Mm. This would be the easiest thing to do. And I already know a lot of this stuff. But then I had to like re-research everything to make sure it was up to date. Because a lot of this stuff changes. Like when I first started writing the book, the abortion, the amount of states with trap laws was much lower than it is now. And trap is um, targeted targeted restrictions of abortion provider law. So it was it's essentially like how do we make abortion illegal mm-hmm. even though without actually making it illegal. Right. So like gurney being able to put a fit a gurney through the hallways, doctor admitting privileges at hospitals, stuff that just makes it impossible for those clinics to stay open. And that and that totally had changed in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So 
when do you feel like you became aware of the different of how women are treated versus how men are treated that's an interesting question because I grew up with a sister my dad's the only guy in our family so I really didn't there was nothing I could compare it to I didn't have like a brother or anything mm. and to to see like well he's getting more soda than me or whatever I don't know <laughs> I don't know what children would see as far as inequality but I'll say this my family is Irish Catholic has a very dark sense of humor and has a very healthy sense of inequality of, of, of being able to see inequality Everyone in my family on my mom's side, they are, you know, um, if we have extra food at a restaurant, everyone's fighting over who gets to give it to the homeless person. You know, like everyone's like constantly seeing the tragedy happening in the world. So that gave me a leg up mm-hmm. in seeing these things. And then when they started happening to me, I used to move a lot as a kid. Just me. Not with my parents or anybody. <laughs> wow. You must have missed them. Uh, yeah. I was, it was really lonely. <laughs> I... Definitely felt like an outsider a lot of the time. So that gave me a little more of a magnification of, of um, I don't know, being able to see that in other people. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't even think it was really a gender thing at the beginning. I saw class first, class differences, because mm-hmm. I grew up lower, lower, not even middle class, you know, poverty level. The, the feminist aspect came into play in college when I had a friend Tria Wood, who gave me a copy of Susan Faludi's Backlash, and that like took my took the ability that I already had to see inequality for class, and mm. then just like focused it on like, oh, well, now that here's how it it rears its ugly head with gender, right? And then inside of that, like, and then you know, versus white women versus black women versus Puerto Rican women, like, it's all it's all everybody's experience is totally different with this kind of. Um, I don't even. The best word I can call it is evil because I do think people make these laws and do these things on purpose because Mm -hmm. you're a woman. It's not accidental. Right. Um, So I've never read Backlash and I've also never read The Beauty Myth. And I feel like I like there's this uh, this weakness in my uh, my reading of the feminist canon, although in college, like I did read. French literary feminist criticism. So I've got like the more eccentric uh, arcane stuff, but but like what would you, to you, what are the ones that everyone has to read in addition to Feminasty? Well, I do like Susan Faludi's Backlash. It talks a lot about working class women, which I think is um, a, a, oftentimes, especially if you're on the coasts and you're, you know, part of that, uh, you're living in a city, you might not have access to those kind of stories and knowing about them. I think that's really important. It is a massive book. How massive are we talking? Like infinite jest level? I feel like it is that big. All I re- So I read it at a gym. It was my gym book. Wow. And I used to use it. I didn't realize that it was a it was a tool like this, but I would read it on the elliptical machine. And then I was like, I don't know, 20. So guys would come up and talk to me on the elliptical machine and they would ask me what I was reading. <laughs> and it was great because it, I was working in Sugarland, Texas, which is where my um, stepdad's businesses mm-hmm. so it was ding dong dudes <laughs> coming up to me and so I was really excited that I was going to get to say this thing yeah. to them because I knew it would make them walk away instantly and it <laughs> always worked but I remember it being super hefty and I feel like it's like 500 pages okay so I feel like, like it's a 500 mm-hmm. I could do that also Gail Collins history of American women 
I don't, she has, and she, she has that book. She's a New York Times writer. It is the most well-researched book on all the women that you've never heard about who've been erased from history. Pioneer women, women who printed paper during the Civil War. I mean, it, it was just fascinating. And she almost doesn't have time to talk in detail about all of them because there's so many that mm-hmm. you don't know about. So that takes, that book's takes you from like the beginning of the United States to the 60s. And then she has another one that starts up in the 60s that I haven't even, I have, but I haven't read yet. I'm sure it's brilliant. I mean, she's brilliant. Mm. And it's a great book to fill in those gaps. Because, I mean, you think about what you learn in history class. It's, you know, George Washington, Abraham, right. all the presidents, everybody's a man. Um, or if you're in Texas, you also learn that the Civil War was states' rights versus federal rights, <laughs> which is not accurate. Um, so I just, I devoured that book. On a plane, on one plane ride. But it's pretty big. All right. I'm going to go out and get these books. I will link to them in the episode summary. So after reading Feminasty, what are you hoping someone will walk away with? Well, I hope that people will... I. Well, by the way, I want to say this. I think this book isn't just for women. I think this book is for guys who want to know more and um, definitely sending a couple copies to Donald Trump to see if he can <laughs> learn it, learn one thing. I hope that people, I hope that women take away from the book that there could, there's some things that they see that they've always thought, oh, I don't, this is weird. I don't really know why I think this is weird, but this feels unfair that they could maybe see my take on it and go, oh, that's why I feel that way. Mm. Oh, I'm not so alone. This actually is something I've been feeling for a long time, but I didn't know other women felt this way. For example fewer women being in science and technology. Yeah, STEM. Yeah, STEM um, is, we're grossly um, underrepresented in STEM. And not only that, it's hard to get in. You also sometimes get sexually harassed right out of it. Wasn't it like 100% of the women of color had felt they had been harassed? Yeah. And not only that, there's, and this is an example in the book, like of, um, the the white female experience versus the um non-white female experience but there was a black scientist who reported that she has been mistaken as the janitor oh, right and you read that and you're like oh first of all that's there's nothing wrong with being a janitor okay yeah there's some great alcoholics that i know who are janitors <laughs> but if you would go to school for 50,000 years and you're now a scientist and you've 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 crossed all these hurdles and now another scientist is coming up to you and asking you for toilet paper <laughs> and also that that person can't recognize that you're also a scientist because right. you're standing in front of scientific equipment mm-hmm. like all everything's wrong about it stem um also john glenn's an asshole i'm happy to erase his whatever <laughs> heroic legacy he has left he actively kept women out of right. the space program the one of the things, though, that I think have been surprising people that have been reading the book um, was the cosmetics chapter, mm-hmm. because I don't think a lot of people realize, a lot of women realize how much of their money for cosmetics goes to male-dominated corporations. I didn't. Yeah. I feel like all the makeup I wear is uh, is funneled towards men. Oh, yeah. I threw... When I started writing that chapter and I started realizing how much money... And these guys are billionaires. They're billionaires off of our own desire to fit some sort of, you know, 
perfect ideal of what a woman looks like or s- satisfy some aspect of the male gaze. That being said, I fucking love makeup. Mm. Like, I'm not going to stop wearing it. I like looking clown adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> and so I dumped, I, I had all NARS products and I dumped them all in the garbage. And I bought all new makeup that's all run by women and not just run by women, like owned by women. Because you can also what happens with indie brands is that they'll be female run, female owned, and then a bigger company like Unilever or someone will come Mm -hmm. in and buy them up. So I had to really research like, well, who's not owned by these big companies? Because you can't really, I can't really be mad at a lady for, well, that's not true. There were a couple of women who were making millions of dollars. And I don't mean like $1 million. I mean mm. like $400 million and sold to a bigger company and still have stake in the company. And to me, I'm like, what's the difference? You now have less control and I guess you have access to the Chinese market, which dictates that you test on animals regardless of what your policy is. Right. I just, I was like, well, you're, you have a, you have so much money. Why not just be this proudly owned, like female owned corporation and stay that way? I didn't get it. But there was one product that they couldn't pry out of your hands, though. And a blanket. Oh, it's my Lalabo perfume. Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I'm open to suggestions, but <laughs> Lalabo has me by the, by the back of the neck. <laughs> what was the process of writing the book like and getting it published? Because you mentioned in the book that at earlier at an, an earlier time in your life you had tried to write a collection of sex essays right and i love when people admit that because i too have tried to publish so many different types of books i know jen kirkman in i think her in uh i can barely take care of myself talks about having tried to publish her collection of davis sedaris type essays um <laughs> so when someone has gone through that and then like breaks through with with feminasty like what was that process of selling it and getting people on board like well yeah i had a full treatment for those of you unfamiliar with this world which i absolutely was when i started a treatment is like a 70 page document where you put in three sample chapters an intro what other chapters could be all your famous friends who can shill it <laughs> right, for you competition all yeah it's just a very comprehensive doc so i had set this up for it was called Diaz for doggy style <laughs> and it was a you know coming at it from like i want you to learn but then this is also what i've been through and i had interest in that book from two people but uh two publishing houses but one of them the one i went with has this amazing my amazing editor suzanne o'neill and she said i don't like this i'm a big fan of your show throwing shade i want you to write a book like that Mm. it wasn't even my idea i mean one of the reasons i wanted to write a sex book is because i talk about depressing stats and um, the pay gap and abortion rights all week. I wanted to write something different. And she was like, I don't want you to do that. And Even, she was right. She was like, write what you already know. And yet you still managed to get an anecdote of your hu- your first husband making love to your feet in the story. <laughs> Which is it nice. was so hard. <laughs> I wanted it. So I said, so I, it was a conversation of, okay, I, I will do what I do on the podcast, but I want it to be a little more personal because mm-hmm. I don't really talk that personally on the podcast and I want it to be more, connect on that level more. So they were down for it. So then I had to write a whole, I didn't know what it was, I didn't know what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So then I started looking at old um, episodes and seeing what pa- patterns there were over time and 
trying to predict, unfortunately, what would still be relevant in five years. Mm-hmm. Oh, was this was this five years ago? No, I'm just I was trying to like forecast. Yeah, in a way. So I was like, do I think any of these issues will be solved in five years? And unfortunately, the answer is no. I saw that there were issues that I had talked about in 2011 when we started the show that I was still talking about in 2017. Mm. And that's unfortunately the state of uh, how molasses slow women's rights can move. So it was just a matter of like, okay, what do I think the most important things are to talk about? And then scaling that down. Then writing a manuscript that was not good. Really? My first manuscript manuscript was not good. And I I don't I don't write long form. Mm-hmm. I don't write anything long form. I get my news facts on the show. I go on the show. I have a couple jokes written. I improvise with my comedy partner and then I'm done. Yeah. So it was a whole new skill and it takes a lot of concentration and a lot of time and a lot of eating crow. I my editor was rough on me and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. She was she wanted me to be good. So she didn't mince words. She would just straight up be like, this isn't good. You have to rewrite this whole chapter. And here's why I don't think it's good. There's no point. I like this X, Y, and Z about it. But I mean, I had to rewrite. Everyone does rewrites, but Mm. I had to rewrite a lot. Because I was learning a new skill. Was that hard? You you say eat crow. Like, were were you? I thought they were better than they were. Okay. I thought I I was like, oh, these are pretty good. I'd read these. And then I would get her notes and then I'd reread it. And I go, oh, I just wanted to be done with the chapter. Mm -hmm. What were they like, these first ones? Long, boring. Um, a lot of too many tangents of like, I feel when I read them, I feel my anxiety of, I've got to get all these stories Mm. in here because they're all important. I'm just an inability to parse out like this Mm. is, this is a repeat story of this other thing, even though it's just about this woman who I think is amazing and did this amazing thing. Like it's the same thing. So it's hard though. I mean, that's hard to, uh. I can't even think of the word like for what that. Like what the right yeah. prioritize. Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting there on like a pile of information, it's hard to figure out which ones to tell. It's hard to find the ones that these are going to, you know, I'm choosing six stories, but but in those stories, we're going to be telling all the stories somehow. Like that's difficult. It was a lot of. That's what editors do. That's what editors do. And she is fantastic. And she just stuck with me. I remember reading... Oh, I read Samantha Samantha Irby's book Mm -hmm. on a plane. And I just was like, this is so fresh and so funny. And you can you hear who she is. And that clicked for me. I went back and I said, okay, I need to make sure every single sentence is dripping with Aaron Gibson. And that helped a lot of just like, well, do I care about this? No, so it's not going in. Mm -hmm. It gave me a weird confidence to go back and be more honest and real and try to get my voice in there more rather than just being like, here's an interesting thing. Isn't it cool that I know this? Right. That's what I felt like the first right. one was. It really does drip with Aaron Gibson. Yay! <laughs> There's so much personality and so much point of view. Yeah. I really, it's, it's really readable. So how long did the whole process take from, from, uh, D is for doggy style to now? <laughs> well, about two years. It took a long time. I had a break in between. I had to stop in between because we got throwing shade the TV show. So I couldn't work on it at all mm-hmm. then. So that was like, I don't know, 
eight months that I couldn't work on it. So it total took me three years. But I have to say it was a blessing in disguise because, well, number one, I'll, it'll if I get to write another book, which I hope I do, it'll never take me that long because <laughs> I understand exactly what needs to be done now. And I would run it like I would put it myself on a schedule and not meander and not be like, I got plenty of time, mm-hmm. which you never do. And number two, it was supposed to come out before Trump. Mm. I had a publishing date that was like, I don't know, April of 20. Um, I don't even, I, I, isn't it sad? Oh, 20, 2016. 2016. Yeah. I don't think the book would have been felt as relevant or mm-hmm. necessary. Right. Right. Because I think that there are a fair amount of people who are like, it's pretty okay for women. Or well, there were sure. more there. There were more than there probably are now. And that was the difference because I was, because I was, re- I was talking about women's issues every week. I saw what was happening on a state by state level and seeing the patterns that way. And no one was reporting on that stuff. And while I thought all the, I I mean, it would have been the same book. I would have written the same book. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't have been, I don't think people, I don't think women would have felt it was as necessary as it is. My book is necessary. No, I just mean like, <laughs> right. it, I think it, people's eyes are open. Yeah. And guys too, you know, especially since me too, they're open to like, the, the how this what the struggle is to be a woman in america mm-hmm. was that hard letting go of d is for doggy style no it was actually very easy that book felt after i had thought about feminasty which it wasn't called feminasty and they didn't want to call it feminasty and didn't. i won them over with because i sent them wait they didn't want to or you didn't mm-hmm. want to they didn't, they didn't want, want to. to it was my first i was like i think we should call it feminasty right. And they decided on it after Trump was elected. They were like, okay, we do. She, she ran it by some people in the office and um, before and after the election and it changed. What was it going to be before Feminasty? It was, there was no, I, I had so many. I, I will, if you're really interested, I have a spreadsheet. I will send you <laughs> the Google Doc. It is a nightmare to look at because I have rounds. So I wouldn't re- forget what I'd already sent. Uh-huh. So there's just like chunks of names in different colors. And wow. it says round one and there's 25 names. Round two, same thing. I just, I had, I had it. I just had to like make them see all the worse alternatives, I guess. You've been referring to yourself as feminasty on throwing shade mm-hmm. for a while. Where did that initially come from? I made it up. because, But I, I, it's, I'm sure it's, you... an, it's nasty feminist, basically. Right. Yeah. And then Brian's homosexual. I love that. And then we have a moniker for straight guys, which is heterosensitive. <laughs> uh, so I, when I was Googling, because I had to look up the full title of the book. Yeah. When I was Googling that, though, I found there is a podcast called Feminasty. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, it's hard because like, I, you know what? I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, obviously, our, the name of our show we got from... Paris is burning. And it was a it was a word that someone made up in the drag scene in the 80s. And now it's part of the vernacular. And I hope feminasty is the same way. That's not my it wasn't my initial reaction. But um, <laughs> that when I first saw that podcast, and there was a couple other a, a woman who listens to our show had asked me permission to call she was doing a show at Edinburgh, not how you say it, Edinburgh. Ed- no, Edinburgh is how you Ed- say Edinburgh. it, but okay. you think you should say it, Edinburgh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She was like, can I use Feminasty as a show title in, in, for this show in London or in Scotland? And I was like, sure. That was 2012, I think. You- when the- so I don't – so 
a little bit I've had the chance to be like, oh, this is what it feels like when someone else uses the word. Right. You dedicate the book to other women. They are not your competition. Is that always how you feel? And is that a discipline? That's a discipline because it's not how I've always felt. And well, right. Cause you have a sister that you were sort of yes, competitive with. Very competitive for resources for, I mean, for literal resources, like who's going to wear this gap shirt this week, mm-hmm. you know, or who's going to get our parents' attention, which was almost impossible because they were, you know, both working two jobs and there was just nobody around to, to, um, to engage. So, but I don't think it's necessarily because of my sister. I do see in so many situations, female friends who are competing for invisible, not invisible, but like, you know, male attention, um, jobs, the jealousy that's kind of, um, built into us subconsciously. I don't Mm. think it's not something that people raise us to be like that, but it happens and I don't like it. And I think it's a fantastic way to dilute our power. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was your experience doing throwing shade the TV show? Like, and did you guys have one or two seasons? One. I would do it differently if I got to do it again. I'm super proud of it, but I would do it differently. I th- I I think I think the one flaw I'm proud of so many things of that show. I'm proud of so many things. Our one flaw was trying to make a show that you've already seen on TV mm-hmm. as a, almost a way of being like our content might be very niche and liberal, but look, we're wearing um, you know, we're sitting behind a desk and we've got a backdrop of a city. Right, it's a comfortable format. It was it, I don't think our personality, I don't think it lended, that that style lended itself to being able to joke around and be free and be louder mm-hmm. and be who we actually are. I think kind of like my book. It's like, it doesn't, it was like this little box that we put ourselves in and felt like we had to be a certain way because it's TV. And I don't think, I don't think those, those rules don't exist. Those are something we put on ourselves. Was it a too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing? Or do you feel like, you, like you said I you think, did that to yourself, but like, did you and Brian sit there and decide that the, that was the decision? Yeah. We had a, di- we had done another pilot for Logo that was weird. It was so weird. The set was bonkers. It was us sitting in two stools talking to each other and I loved it. I loved it. It didn't make any sense. I mean, our content made sense, but. I don't think it was a perfect format, but I liked where we were going with it. And because that didn't get picked up, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I do feel like I was like, oh, it's too weird. We're too much. We have to like tamp that down a little bit. Mm. And so it was definitely a mutual decision between Brian and I, but that was where I was coming from. I was like, no, let's do something more normal so people get it. And that's not how you make waves, unfortunately. Or fortunately, actually, mm-hmm. it's a good way. I mean, you should just try to do. If you get a chance to do a TV show, you should do absolutely everything you want and try it because you just you might never get the chance again. Phil Rosenthal says you should do the show. You should make the show you want to make because you're going to get canceled anyway. That's fantastic advice. Yeah, and oftentimes those shows go because those people are having so much fun. They're doing what they want. I think Hollywood is. Working in Hollywood for the most part is the fun and the job is not working. Oh, that's really interesting. 
So why are you making it harder on yourself mm -hmm. when you have a, when you're writing on a TV show, which is a million people's dreams? Right. And I don't necessarily mean like that people do that to themselves, but like I get really my the thing I've been really mad about this week is I have a couple of friends writing on shows and the guys who run the shows don't like their families. And so my friends who have children cannot oh. see their children because the asshole running their show doesn't want to let everyone go home because he's afraid that if they leave at 7 p.m., he's going to get home too early and have to do story time. <laughs> and that infuriates me because you're now you're making everything difficult when it should be so fun and great and you should be able to see your kids. Right. It should be easy. Not like it's not work, but should be should be a joy. Should be a rainbow. Would you want to do a TV show again? Yeah, I would love to question that's going to seem like it's it is a little bit out of as long field. as tv is like a thing in a year right i don't even know what that means anymore right uh okay maybe this won't be out of left field um how do you deal with haters because i imagine you have them because you're like this is who i am and i have a strong voice and i support women's issues and those are all things that bring shitheads out of the woods i used to try to respond with a joke every once in a while i'll still do that I'll try to re reframe their hatred as a question and make them look dumb for having asked it. Or I'll just make a straight up joke about their Instagram or whatever. But I don't want to do that anymore. So what I've been doing in the past month is I just straight up block people. Mm -hmm. And I comment, thanks for letting me know who you are. And then I block them. And it makes people furious. And I only know that because you? I blocked somebody who had my email address. Oh, wow. Um, and asked me about it. And I was like, here's why you were rude. This is why it wasn't acceptable. You can't talk to strangers like that. And these are th like, this is a fan of the show. Mm. And she apologized and I unblocked her. But I'm not having that conversation with everybody. Right. I'm not a punching bag for you and your anger or whatever. And if you don't agree with my posts, you don't have to spend your time on it. I'm not. There's no obligation. Some woman was so mad at me last week. I don't... Oh, it was about... I had a post about... It was either Mark Wahlberg complaining about his teenage daughter. Oh, right. And there was another post about... Um, well, I forgot his name now. This The comedian who's dating a 19-year-old. Why can't I think of his name? Dane Cook. Oh. I don't remember who it was, but it was a woman just on this diatribe going like, and the last thing she said was like, and you just interrupted mommy wine time. And what? I was like, bitch, I didn't come to your house and knock on your door and sit you on a couch and go look at this and read it. I didn't do that. I was, And so that, to her, I was like, you have a very complicated idea about how time works and what people are forcing you to do. Right. That stuff, I'm just like, I, I don't care if you follow me. Mm. I don't care anymore. When you block someone, scream into the void. When you block someone and say, "Now, thank you for letting me know who you are." Do you say that just to them, or do you like quote tweet it so everyone sees it? I well, on Instagram, you you oh, Instagram they can you can leave their comment up and mm -hmm. then comment below, and I do that right because I want people to know like that's those are the rules on this page. If you want to participate in this page and have a conversation, like I'm here for I'm here for that, but mm. I'm not going to um defend my posts or like whatever on Twitter. I just straight up. Well, who told me this trick? I feel like it was Kirkman. Yeah, it was Kirkman. 
she said, do a screen grab. Don't post. Don't, don't, don't comment. Don't, don't put their handle in it and nothing. It's just a picture. You comment and then you block. And then it's a discussion and not like I'm engaging with this troll. Right. Right. I had a thing recently and I talked about this on my Thursday show where I got in this I should not, it was one of those, someone accused me of virtue signaling, which like that should have been the clue right there to not uh, respond. But anyway, actually, I'll just, I'll just tell you what it is. Um, Cause it's going to be vague. Otherwise he wrote to me and Greg Fitzsimmons and he's like, I don't believe that you guys disliked private school. I think you're just virtue signaling. I don't even remember talking about private school. However, I didn't like, pri- I mean, there were some positives and some negatives. I went to private school from kindergarten through eighth and um, it was like very hard socially and I, I don't know what I said, but I had some negative things to say about it. And, and Greg went to Catholic school and I, like I said, I do not remember the conversation, but I guess we both, we both talked about not liking private school. So he's like, I think you're just virtue signaling, which was a weird thing to be accused of. Like, and so I wrote back, did you go to private school? Did you like it? And then he wrote back saying that like, yes, he went to private, you know, Jesuit school and it was great for ninth and 10th. And then he transferred to Dearborn and in Michigan. Yeah. Which by the way, I, someone else, well, I'll get to that after a uh, Dearborn. And there were like all the, and then he was just like this total anti-Muslim thing. There were all these Muslims and here's why it was so bad and blah, blah, blah. And then like in capitals, but diversity is our strength. And I was like, Oh, I had no idea. That's what I was dealing with. I had no idea that to him private versus public school, it's a race thing. Cause that had nothing. I went, I grew up in Orange County. My private school was homogenous and my public school was also homogenous. Like it, that, to me, that had never even entered my head. It was like when you think you're smelling something gross and it's like a thousand times grosser. Like, ew. <laughs> and by the way, then what I didn't realize is like this Dearborn, Michigan thing. If you Google Dearborn, Michigan on Snopes, there's like all this, all these anti-Muslim uh, like message- hoaxes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that's... To a lot of people, yeah, like there's a, like, anyway, the guy who wrote in was like, I bet this is bullshit, actually, because, you know, he, and then he, he linked me to Googling Dearborn on Snopes, where there's all these stories about like fake Muslim news as if like Muslims are taking over there. Anyway, um, so I didn't know what to do because this is someone who has like 53 followers. At the same time, this is straight up racism. And I, I'm like, if I respond, then I'm drawing attention to this, which I don't want to give him attention. But at the same time, if I say nothing, then does it seem like I'm okay with this? And then thankfully, by the time I finally decided like I am going to respond, he had already deleted his tweets. So it was done. But I didn't know what the right, like, what is the right thing to do in that situation? If it's ever racism, uh, xenophobia, um, homophobia, anything that's transphobic or sexist anything like that i don't even i just straight up report them i report everybody even if it's just a teeny teeny baby bit because i have to hope that the um our gracious algorithm will see a pattern if other people do that and kick the person off that's what i hope i feel like that doesn't happen although i think that that's a you may as well do it since you have the option but it feels good yeah i mean i used to report people all the time for for shit against me that was like profane or uh sexist or racist and like nothing ever happened to them but did you block too i can't i think so i can't remember this was a long time ago yeah i report i block 
that's like mm-hmm. my go-to. But does now does it get to you personally? This kind of stuff. You know what got to me? Personal attacks don't get to me because I, my sister and I used to. She she we had, we had good practice in like deflecting <laughs> really hurtful things. So I don't really get my feelings hurt on that level. What makes me furious is when people misinterpret mm. what I'm saying and accuse me of something else. Yes. That's when I get pissed because I'm like, well, you can't fucking read. So why don't you go back to lotioning your legs or whatever you're doing <laughs> and I'm not having a conversation with you, but the one that I did engage in, I have been posting about the Catholic church all week because I was raised Catholic. I've of course known about, I've known about this shit that the Catholic church was doing because my parent, my mom used to tell me stories about the preacher, the priest at her school who used to take, I I mentioned in the book, who used to take children, young boys on a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. And the parents were like, okay, this is fine. So I've heard these stories my whole life. I have seen the baby steps that people have made as far as like distancing themselves from the church. So when I, I mean, I'm, I'm like straight up on a tirade this week because now I'm, t- I'm tired of it. And if you go to Catholic church, you, I'm not, I don't understand why. Well, the information's all out now, so you can't pretend you don't know. But it was out during Spotlight. It was out yeah. during um the one on, the other one on Netflix where the priest killed a nun. Mm. It's been you know in the 80s. Oh my God, there was. I remember as a kid watching a movie with like Kevin Bacon and three other yes. guys. Do you remember this? Yes, I don't know what it's called, but I know what you mean. Remember one of them has like is a hot dog vendor and the hot dog cart like kills a priest and then everyone's like it's an accident and they're like oh actually he raped all these kids when mm. they were younger and it was all ones of police officer it's called kevin bacon and some people i don't know what it's called does kevin ba- <clears throat> was he in does, it does he play a pedophile though is it like the woodsman or something maybe, or is that some other maybe it's movie? another movie i think that's another movie but that was like like i've we've been talking about this for a really long time yeah. so if you're not leaving the catholic church and becoming episcopalian which is basically the same thing without monsters and with um less pederasty ex- yeah and acceptance of gay people and trans people what are you doing? Like, it's your your currency in life isn't always money. Mm-hmm. It's your time, what you decide to believe in, who you decide to associate with. I don't give a fuck if you're, if St. Lawrence, your your church hasn't had any rapists. They're part of the system. There's a bishop that they're under who's probably been covering up stuff. Burn it to the ground. <laughs> I mean, not literally, but like the Catholic right. church should not exist anymore. And then I get people on my Instagram going like, um, well, you know, you can't blame all Catholics for these couple of people. And I was like, yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, I can. And then people, I remember I said like Episcopalian less. Oh, um, it was like, I don't remember what it was. It was a take on um, taste great, less filling, mm-hmm. but it was something I don't remember. It's on my Instagram. Something, something less child rape. And then someone was like, well, according to your post, you still admit that Episcopalians do rape children. I was like, oh, you got me. You got me. So it's just like conversations like that where I'm like, because, but you know what? It doesn't, it makes me mad because I cannot believe people still fucking believe like that. Mm. And you get goaded in, or not goaded, but you get like comfortable in your little like social media world. And you're like, we all agree the same thing. So when you see people not doing that, you're like, 
A, I thought I shielded myself from this. I don't want to participate this on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I have to go to the fucking grocery store and now I'm mad in my car and I'm tweeting at somebody because they got me. Because Mm -hmm. they got me because they're an idiot and they're making the world terrible. And then secondly, like, who has the time? Who Like, why does everyone have so much time to engage in this stuff? Yeah. Why do you have the time? And if you care so much about this stuff, why aren't you volunteering? Why aren't you using all this time going to do something good in your life? Why are you attacking people on the internet? I don't know. I feel like we're going to be having this discussion for like, the rest this of- is it. This is the new discussion. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. till the end of time. <clears throat> no, you're right. I was uh I was being a guest on someone else's podcast and I arrived like on time, but then I was a couple minutes late because I had to sit in my car like writing an angry thing on Instagram. <laughs> I can't and it really and the other night I couldn't fall asleep because I was riled up because this fucking Instagram back and this is a different one than the one I than the one I talked about before. And it's like Oh, it's really, it's really getting under my skin. But it, you, I'm going to sound like an old person, but like, I wish there were, I wish we could go back to, I don't know, 2006 when you could just have a day. Yeah. And you didn't have a little tiny computer in your pocket that's just filled with anger. Right. I don't think it's doing anything good for us. No. No. It's doing everything bad. Right. And I respect people who are not on it. And I don't know how you can do that. Like, for example, in the book proposal, you have to write how many followers you have mm. on all your platforms. That That's currency. That's right. your currency now. How many people are, like, in your audience? Right. I know. And then there are people who just don't read their at replies. But I don't know how you be, how you, how you be that person. Because some – well, and I'm sure you get this too. Sometimes you get somebody who's like, I need help. Yeah. And – I don't know what to do. And this weird, terrible thing's happening to me and I don't know what to do about it. And, you know, I give people advice that hopefully I have a insight on or personal experience. And if I don't, I refer to them to, I remember there, oh, a guy wrote out to me and he goes, I know for sure there's a human trafficker in my, in my small town. Wow. I know he's trafficking women. Where do I go? And I was like, here's the website. This is how you report him. Called this police state. I gave him all the information because I was like, this is big deal. And when there's people junking up your inbox with shitty things, that's all I think about is like, oh, well, this right. guy's trying to do something good. Reach out and get some help about this mm-hmm. thing. And now you 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 want to attack, attack me about something I wrote about Ariana Grande <laughs> <laughs> having to do more makeup than her right. fiance. And Pete. Okay. Yeah. Um, Pete Sweatshirt Davidson. <laughs> So you mentioned in the book that your parents had a big age difference. My parents also have a big... They're 16 years apart. Mine, well, mine are like 16, almost 17. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my God. I also always went for guys who were older than I was. I had was like in love with one of my professors. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about I know how this that life. impacted you? Yeah. Well, you don't know it's a weird thing until you get out of school. I, th- I mean, really out of college... After college, I was like, oh, I am doing this thing because mm-hmm. my parents are the only relationship that I've been close to my whole life. And I think that's normal. Mm-hmm. I think it's normal for a 33-year-old to marry a teenager. How old were your parents when they got married? Uh, so they met when my mom was 19 and my dad was 35. And then they got married when she was... Pregnant? 
No. I maybe she well, I know she had me when she was twenty five. And so that they got married when she was twenty four, maybe. What do they talk about? And is health. Do the <laughs> sounds right. Are all the things that your mom likes the things that your dad likes? Like, do you think that the I think, taste? Uh, level, yes. Like, well, no. I mean, I think that all the things my dad likes have become things that my mom likes. Like, I th- feel like they turned into one person. Oh yeah, like they kind of merged. Um, I mean, of course, I think that. I mean, they're still your parents are not together, no. right? My parents are together. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, what would my mom's life have been like if she didn't meet the man that she was going to be with at 19? Because I don't believe anyone's fully formed at 19. Nope. I, and I certainly wasn't. Um, but what they always said, and you bring this up in the book, is like, oh, she was like a very mature 19-year-old, which that's what I believed was true until I got to a certain age where I'm like, there is no such thing. No. <laughs> that doesn't exist. And by the way, you can, I, you, should, you still should be able to vote and like you know, have right. a credit card and do things like, like you should still be able to be like an independent person. Mm-hmm. It's just that to me, it's a dangerous thing. And I'm not saying there aren't May, December romances at work. My uncle by marriage is in a May, December romance and it works because they're both goths. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They both are like, have a very specific interest. They both like weird dragon handled knives and they listen to the same music and they dress all in black and they work. So I'm not, and I, it's a small pool to, you know, yeah. decide who you're going to um, end up with if you're in the goth world. But <laughs> uh, what I, I mean, so that's an example of like, well, of course you can fall in love if you're in this, like, you know, right. the, if you have like the specific interests and things in, in common. What I don't like is the idea that older men are dating younger women and saying she's really mature for her age when in fact what they all they want to do is mold her into a person. They know that she doesn't know things. And so they're going to be like, let me show you the world and teach you things. So I don't have to deal with a person who's fully formed and has opinions mm-hmm. and might like different things and might not do the things that I want to do. Right. That being said, I... In the case of my parents, to the extent that that was going on, I don't think it was conscious. Like, I don't think no. my dad set out to find, you know, he had been married before and that had kind of gone down. He had, he had my older brothers from his first marriage and he was still kind of reeling from that. And I think that they just, you know, they met and then they, they fell in Where love. Where did they meet? They had a mutual friend who had a dinner party and they were both there. And then like they met and they went out to lunch a couple of times. Then nothing then like they didn't see each other for a while and then they met again at a dinner at that same that woman had a dinner party again and then they started dating so i don't know sounds fairly normal yeah i yeah i guess but it but it imp- what it imprinted on me was like i need to find <clears throat> have you been is it is it an allergy I, it's this happens to me i think it might be the air conditioning oh. and then also i'm just like more runny because i'm pregnant um <gasps> you're having another baby i am oh my god <clears throat> congratulations thank you <laughs> how you're doing everything at once you're gonna you're having a baby you're moving, moving you're yeah. fixing your house up i know it's, it all happens all, all at the same time and yeah. it's funny because for when i was trying to because we did we do i had to do ivf mm-hmm. we did it with elliot too um and we were in the process of, it was like, we, this might work. I might be pregnant and we might be, buy a house or we might not get this house and I might not get pregnant. Like my, my life could have gone in two different ways. Totally. Oh, I can't um, even imagine. <clears throat> okay. 
was I saying? Oh, you were saying I that gonna... I said it sounds fairly normal, and then I was asking you how they met, and then oh, so... I was saying, but I think it imprinted on me this desire to have this father figure see me as like extra special, and then to fall in love with that person. Like, I mean, that's what I was acting out. I wasn't aware of it. No, you're not aware of it. No. I just, I was, I, my excuse was always, um, oh, I'm too mature for these guys and, um, and I belong with an older man. That's my status. Mm-hmm. Yes. But really, I just didn't want to date anybody in college in Texas. If I had been in any other, if I had been in maybe even just Austin, but like I wanted to go to school in NY, at NYU or LA, if I had gone to a place where I thought I would have more in common with the people around me. I don't think I, I don't, I mean, I maybe would, I dated older guys, but I would at least had people on my level. Mm-hmm. Not that my level was like such a thing, but I was surrounded by conservatives. I was in a really conservative part of the country. I didn't have a lot of money and I loved to talk about photography and watch, you know, gothy movies <laughs> and, you know, I smoke cigarettes and talk about books. And I didn't have anybody around to do that with me. Mm-hmm. I had nobody to talk about books with. Books. Like, a book. One book. I <laughs> had no one. book. <laughs> so you get an older guy and you're like, oh, you read a book. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So your your husband now, what's the age difference? He is he is four years younger than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at you. He's Italian. So he's like, yeah, of course, I'm Italian. <laughs> I'm a so, mature guy. And I'm like, well, I think that's a stereotype. <laughs> when did you guys get married? Because the last time, not the last time I saw you, but you and Brian did the podcast and you were engaged uh, whenever that was. And then all of a sudden you were married. We got married last July 25th. We took a train up to Santa Barbara, got married in the courthouse and came right home. I love that. It was great. We also took custody of his brother who has Down syndrome. So we basically got married. His brother Mickey moved in with us. Then we bought a house and that was all in the course of like three weeks. So it was, um, it was, I was nervous at first cause mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have anybody in my family who has a, um, you know, um, down syndrome, down syndrome. I really don't even, I just a miracle of no one in my family. My family is like poor, 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 poor. Everyone's born healthy. Everyone's born really smart, super angry. That's my family. <laughs> so I was really nervous about it and not really because of him, but more of like, am I going to act cool around mm-hmm. it. Am I going to do the right thing? I don't want to hurt. I don't want to do something that accidentally hurts his feelings or right. do whatever. And then I just was like, oh, this is easy. He's a human being who's filled with love and joy. Mm-hmm. So just be that with him. And it's been really great. It's been really great. So yeah, a lot of lot of stuff happened last right. year. How much care does he need? He needs like, okay, well, he's been diagnosed as on the low end mm-hmm. of the... I guess it's called like the functionality spectrum, but he's really smart. He knows, he quotes movies. He knows, he remembers things from like, you'll do something one week and then he'll bring it up and you're like, oh, I didn't even remember that. So I think he's very smart in ways that are not quantifiable by our scale. Mm -hmm. He is emotionally superior to any I don't, I don't know. I mean, anybody who's not, who doesn't have Down syndrome, he is emotionally superior. Mm. He knows when you're not feeling well before you know. Wow. He starts asking like, are you okay? And you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> and then I'll end up with like, 
my stomach will be upset or yeah. something from something I ate. He's such a creature of like empathy. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. I mean, it's made me into like a, I think a kinder person having him around just because he's. I see how he reacts to every. He sees someone on like upset or whatever on the street. He goes up and hugs them. You're gonna make me cry. It's it's. It, it it's opened my eyes to I mean again talk about like life experiences and people opening your eyes it's now opened my eyes to oh you know what I never thought about how um disabled women navigate this world mm-hmm. and really just anyone with a disability I don't I'm disability is a terrible word to use but like I'm using it broad, broad spectrum of like someone who needs assistance right and now I just see like that world and how people are navigating that and now i'm having navigated it and what the state services are it just makes me angry on a whole different level Mm -hmm. now who was caring for him before ollie's mom but she's she's been doing that her whole life and she's a lady who deserves to have some time Mm -hmm. in her old age (laughs) to not have to worry about what her son's eating it is a it's a lifetime job right and you know for some parents and this is what i think about a lot like what if you're what if you're a you know 94 year old woman caring for her son with down syndrome and you don't have the money to make plans for him what happens or daughter or you know mm-hmm. what happens it's not good it's not good in this country right yeah i want to bring it ra- down real low <laughs> let's see how sad we can get it but i hope no, i mean daniel and i talked about that because now they can test really mm-hmm. early and we talked about like what would the light, you know, if, if our child did have Down syndrome, like, what is that life like? And I looked a little, you know, I get, and I guess like there's a pretty big variation in terms of how, um, functional. Yeah. yeah. A, a, someone with Down syndrome can be, but we're like, we're both old. <laughs> what happens to them? You know, when, when, when we die, I don't look, I have a brother with Down syndrome. He's a new brother to me, but he's my brother and I would do anything for him. And I'm going to make sure he has the best life he can have. If I was pregnant with a child with Down syndrome, I would absolutely have an abortion. I would. Mm-hmm. And that's might sound cruel to say. And that doesn't mean I want my brother to die. Right. But it just means like he himself can have a fantastic life. The stuff that has to happen in order for him to do that in America is almost insurmountable. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my... Because I was very nervous when I was waiting for the results of the test. And... I was talking to my therapist about it and she was like very few newborns with down syndrome. There, there are not that many newborns with down syndrome that are born these days. I mean, I think that is the decision most people make. It's not easy. Yeah. It's no, not, I wouldn't know. I mean, it's not an easy decision, but, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have, who are, you know, um, have some sort of restriction in their life and they're having a, they they love their life and they're so glad they were born and we should be su- absolutely supporting those people. Me personally, I'm you know I'm almost forty. I could not. Ha- I mean, I have a have a, especially if you have someone in your family who already has it, right? Who already who's already under your care. I just see what the what the and he's he can take showers. He, he can't cook for himself, mm. you know, but he can take showers and get himself dressed. Although he doesn't like to get dressed, so a lot of times I. <laughs> 
We so we bought a triplex so that Mickey could have his own apartment. Mm-hmm. So oh, we nice. live in a two bedroom upstairs, and then he lives in a little studio downstairs, which is like perfectly great for him. So I'll go downstairs sometimes after a shower. Who's and- in the third one? We have a renter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but the two that we live in are con- are sort of connected by mm-hmm. an out- outside staircase. And then the renter is like, there's no, it's all closed off. Right. Um, but he likes to sit around naked as people do. I mean, he is a, he's like a man who does what he wants. Mm-hmm. He watches, um, he watches Game of Thrones. <laughs> he draws. He Loves to go to the museum. He loves to go to the farmer's market. He's a celebrity at the Los Angeles <laughs> farmer's market on Sunday. Everyone knows him. And he likes to sit around naked. So he gets to do that now mm-hmm. because there's nobody down there right. saying you can't do it. I make him put on clothes eventually, but, <laughs> but I let him do it. You know, he, he Everyone has freedom. Likes to sit around naked. Yeah. yeah. Just sitting around on an office chair, <laughs> drawing... Drawing Khaleesi pictures. <laughs> uh, another detail from the book I wanted to ask you about, because this is brilliant, and if I knew Excel, I would have done that. You made a spreadsheet of all your sexual partners. Yes! <laughs> you have to, because what if something happens when you find out something and you've got to go back and tell everyone? I mean, I'm also super neurotic. Uh-huh. But it was... I started it... I started it when I started having sex. Mm-hmm. This was in this was a Word 97... Or whatever, Excel 97 right. endeavor wow. that I have kept up. It's not really for the number. You know what it was? Hmm. I mentioned this in the book too, but the first movie that I watched that had more sex ed in it than anything that I ever learned at school was the movie Kids. Mm. And in it, if you haven't seen it, it's a disturbing movie. But in it, a, um, one of the characters is sexually assaulted. She's raped while she's asleep by a guy with AIDS. And the audience knows she has AIDS, but or he, that he has AIDS, but she doesn't. And she wakes up to him fucking her. And so the the movie ends like that. And you're like, well, she just got AIDS. Yeah. She was just raped and got AIDS. Jesus. And I remember the scene in the movie where they go to get tested. It was like earlier. And one of them doesn't have it. And one of them does. I don't remember. There's a lot of like teenagers with AIDS in this movie. And the woman at the clinic was like, if you have this, you have to contact figure out who gave it to you. Oh, that's what it was. Someone gave it to Rosario Rosario Dawson and she has to go back and figure mm-hmm. out who it is. And I remember I was like, I got to keep a spreadsheet because if I'm ever sexually assaulted at a party, like I was having the like right. Larry Clark manifesto in my in my brain before I even had sex. So I was I just it's responsible. I kept them all. So what kind of It's the only good thing he's ever done. <laughs> what kind of information would you put in the different are they cells? I don't know. I'm not a spreadsheet. It just person. says it's just a list, and it says um, their name. It's an order, so it's the order that it happened, and it's their name, and then it's what state they live in, or or, or they lived in. I love it. Very. Simple. What's it called? It's called guys I've had sex with. <laughs> and also, you were thrown out of an Olive Garden as a teenager. Yeah. Well, this is a very to me endearing story. Well, okay, so I acted out the way I acted out before I started acting out sexually was to be loud and obnoxious and really annoying and one of the (laughs) things I did was I went to an olive garden with a bunch of friends it was like before after a dance a school dance and I pretended that I had a hole in my lip I did a lot of things that evening I pretended I had a hole in my lip and then water couldn't stay in and it was three 15 year olds at a table and a waitress that I now feel infinitely sorry for (laughs) I, that wasn't all I did. 
I, I was like, I got to like calm down on the amount of details in this book because everyone's going to hate me. But I would, um, I took my shoes off. I ran around the restaurant. I ran around an Olive Garden without shoes on, which is a bad idea on many levels. Yeah. I, um, like would I was like slamming the bathroom door shut. I was screaming at the table, you know, f- doing sword fights with the bread. It was bad. <laughs> so I got kicked out of it all. They kicked us out. They were like, you have to leave now. And you, and that was like the late nineties. So mm-hmm. if you didn't have a pager and right. your mom wasn't coming to get you until nine thirty or whoever's mom, you just sat there mm-hmm. humiliated and waited for a parent to come. The water thing cracked me up. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty funny bit, but not to do at a restaurant with people who are, and this is like, let's just put it in some context. Like this is Olive Garden, early Olive Garden. So it's still a tiny bit fancy. You know, thank, it was pre- thank you for saying this because I didn't used to think of Olive Garden in the way that we think of it now. And so I was like, oh, I was just naive to what Olive Garden really represented, which is classless Italian Americana. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it changed. I It changed because what happened was everyone was like, wait, they're microwaving their food in the back out of bags? Then the American tide turned against Olive Garden for the most part. My dad still likes to go there and I'll take him. I haven't been in a long time, but I remember, I have fond memories of it. I will go to a Red Lobster once a year. Also never been to a Red Lobster. I feel like I need to go. They have a salad bar, right? Mm, Oh, no. Maybe some of them. Oh, Sizzler. I don't know if it's even around. Is it still around? I I don't think so. The redeeming thing about Red Lobster is that they have this thing called Cheddar Bay Biscuits, Mm. which they give you with every meal, and they're delicious. They sound good. They're delicious. Do they leave like a grease mm-hmm. smear on your? Yeah, yeah. That's what it's I'm like a imagining. cheese straw, but it's a biscuit. <laughs> I'm in. It's they're so good. I think you can buy them at the grocery Ralph's store? Frozen, but I would never do that. That is, I save that. It's a special thing that I get when I go it's to Red good. Lobster. You don't want to. You don't want to squander the specialness. That's another restaurant that I feel is fancy because we used to go for birthdays, and I would always get shrimp scampi, and I'd feel like we were rich people. Mm. But maybe. I don't know. I think it was a thing in the. I think in the eighties it was fancy. I 90s. think it was fancier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone needs to really do a deep dive on our changing perceptions of these restaurants. Please, if you, <laughs> we have to give chains a chance. Yes, we do. Uh, okay, I think we should take some questions that listeners sent in on Patreon. I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's all sorts of fun stuff. There's uh, behind the scenes pictures. There's bonus episodes. There's a live stream. Um, There's so much access to me. You'll beg me to leave you alone. And you can get your questions in for my guests ahead of the line. Okay. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Danielle Lynn says, how do you come up with the characters for your throwing shade ads? I literally had to stop working out at the gym because I was laughing so hard the first time you did the Easter Bunny. (laughs) Okay. I used to do a voice called No Name Big Teeth Small Mouth. (laughs) And that voice has been retired because I've been accused a couple of times that it's like shaming of people with big teeth and small mouths. But I think they're like shaming of people with disabilities. Mm. That voice is a voice that I used to do with my friend Allison. 
because one day we were, it was 4th of July. We were trying to go to the beach. That was already the dumbest thing we've ever done. (laughs) And we were delirious. We drove around for an hour looking for a parking spot. An hour. It was, her car was hot. Where was this? um, It was Santa Monica. No, it was Marina Del Rey. It was Marina Del Rey, which, why were we there? Anyway, um, so Venice South, South Venice. We were so delirious and so hot. We started talking in this high-pitched voice at this guy wearing a tank top who we thought was going to his car. But we, and we, we were like, he's going to a car. So we followed him for a long time and we kept going, tank top, tank top. When are you going to get in your car tank top? And the voice just kept getting higher and higher. And that was the voice. So then one day I just did on throwing shade. Seemed to be a big hit. And then I got accused of um, doing something that I wasn't doing, which is, of course, one of my ang- most angry things. That, that Nothing could anger me more. So wait, what is the voice? Or can you not it do it? It goes like, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but do it. I want you to know I'm not making fun of no. anybody. This is literally something I came up with in the car. And the name came later. And I think maybe the um, big teeth, small mouth is the shaming part of it. I don't really know. Oh. But she goes like this. She'll be like, no, you can't understand her. Mm. But I'll read this. I'll read this Dasani label. <laughs> so that, I guess, is not, I, I can't do this it. anymore. And then Easter Bunny, I was like, Fuck, I can't I guess I can't do this voice anymore. So Easter Bunny is a more coherent mm. big name, uh big teeth, no name, small mouth. Got it. But everything comes from really that the big teeth mm-hmm. voice. I did and also it's whoever the advertiser is. Cause I did I oh, right. like we have one from Scentbird and I just made mm-hmm. up a bird. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's usually something off of like what we have to read. Right. And Danielle Lynn would also like to know, I should know this as an avid Throwing Shade fan, but how did you and Brian meet and how did you decide to start a podcast? Can't wait to see you guys in Chicago. Oh, I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show. Really? Yeah. we. So we used to be on a TV show called Infomania. Oh, yeah. My aunt calls it Infomania. <laughs> ben uh, Hoffman did that too, yes, right? Yes, that's right. It was me, Brian, Brett Ehrlich, um... <laughs> Ben Hoffman. I just forgot Ben Hoffman. Okay, ready? I forgot his name. <laughs> this is so fun. I, I Oh, Connor Knighton. Okay, here we oh. go. Okay. It was me, Brian, Connor Knighton, Brett Ehrlich, and um, ben. ben. All doing Hoffman. a show. To- ben Hoffman, all doing a show together. That show got canceled. Brian was talking about gay trends in the media and i was talking about women's female trends in the media and making fun of them and being like this is fucked up that you have to be a police officer a detective on a tv show but it, you have to be raped or a child of rape or like some, some kind of victim of a crime stuff like that and so when that show can't got canceled we both kind of had a discussion i was like i don't really want to stop talking about this stuff and i had had a podcast a like, I don't know, 20, 2006 or something with my ex-writing partner, Joel Church Cooper, who I'm still friends with, and um, and my friend Blake Walker. And it was just a – we talked about music and it was like – What was it called? Shit Parade Show, <laughs> um, which we had to change to some – I think we changed it to something else because we, we, you couldn't say shit on iTunes or – I don't remember, but – so I had equipment. I had all the equipment and I was like, I know how to do it. So you want to start a podcast? And we just did. We just started it and it was great because – 
oh, this is funny that I'm going to say this because I'm going to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier about TV shows. But we felt so restricted on our show that no one was watching that we couldn't say what we wanted to say. Mm. And so when we started the podcast, we're like, there are no rules. So it's ironic that we would then (laughs) do that to ourselves when we got a TV show. Right. Uh, were you hired by, by Infomania to talk about women's issues? Yes. There was a, um, Sarah Haskins, who is now like an amazing writer and always was a writer, but, um, wrote Trophy Wife, the TV show and does amazing things. She was doing something called, um, Target Women. And it was all about how ads talk to women. So she left the show and they needed to fill fill that spot so i started they didn't want me to do target women they i invented the name modern lady for my segment and then i got tons of hate mail saying that i must have fucked someone at the company to get the job and i was like wow this is what it's gonna be like yeah like nobody even gave me a chance jezebel wrote a terrible article about me a bunch of like feminist blogs were like who's this bitch it was bad i cried in the bathroom a lot and then I was like, I am not going to accept this. I will c- continue to get better. If no one wants to give me a chance, I'll show them that I deserve one. That sucks. I know. It was it was bad. When I got that from like people who I thought were right, feminists, like Jezebel. I was I was heartbroken. What do you make of it? Um, nobody likes change. Sarah was fantastic and super endearing and I was coming from a different I would have a different tone and a different delivery and I was just a different person. I was a different person. And were you, did you audition? Like, is that, mm-hmm. were I you did. going out on auditions a lot at the time? Yeah, I was auditioning a lot. And that was, I was about, so my ex-husband, Michael, was working on Jimmy Fallon's show as a director and writer. And he had just moved there. It was like, he got the job like really quickly and like kind of out of nowhere, which is how it happens for straight white guys. And, um, <laughs> He was literally like in a meeting. He was like, I want this job. And they're like, you got it. And then he was on a plane to New York. So I said, let's see what happens for me in the next couple of months. And if I get a job or whatever, then I'll stay here. And then I was figuring out ways to move to New York. I was meeting with, you know, agents and I was like, okay, what can, maybe I can be in a couple groups in UCB. Let's figure that out. And then I got that job and I stayed in LA mm-hmm. and it was great because it really, so I got to see that my husband and I were not right for each other. Because we got to live apart and it was fantastic, and we both agreed. Was that a was the dissolution of your marriage painful at all? Because you seem so like it seems like it was such a we mutually agree it's a good thing for both of us, and we're still friends. It was a thing. It was a year of like absolute sadness. Mm-hmm. Because just because you don't want to be married some, to someone anymore doesn't mean you stop loving them. It's well in our situation, and then we decided to do our divorce ourselves. So we had to go to, we went to the courthouse together to file paperwork. So, so you had no lawyers. No, we did handled everything ourselves. And it was, I don't know if it's the best thing to do. It definitely drug out the, the end of the relationship Mm -hmm. because it's hard to, well, A, it's hard to like start going on dates or doing anything normal after anyways. But then when you're, if you haven't seen your ex-husband in three months and you're like, oh, maybe I'll date somebody and you start seeing somebody and then you're like, I have to go to with my ex-husband tomorrow to go file some more divorce paper. Right. Like then you you keep seeing each other and yeah. it's not great. I don't think I would, I wouldn't give anybody the advice to do that. I would hire a lawyer. Why did you guys, were you trying to save money or? I just think 
he likes to do weird stuff like it was it was a mutual decision but it was definitely like one of his things he he has weird he likes to experiment with the uncomfortable Mm. (laughs) we got married very quickly after we met seven weeks after Mm. we met and for a story it was like this is a great everything is like it's a great story it's a great story it's a great story that is not a great way to be in a relationship. Right. Because then everything has to be really meaningful and really interesting. And that is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not realistic. No. The sadness that you felt was that realizing that you guys weren't right for each other. The year of sadness. I don't know. I don't know. I think we, I mean, we must have always thought that there was something it must have been it's on the table it's all out there now we have to grieve this thing that we've been feeling Mm. subconsciously for a long time yeah that's what it sounds like all that stuff that you're like keeping in and not talking about and just pretending this thing doesn't bother you or talking about something and thinking it's resolved and then it's not all that tension is just it doesn't go away and it gets that's how it gets expressed yeah. That's sad. I know. But you know what? That's a good reason to be more honest day to day. Elizabeth Brahe says, love when Aaron's on the show. Would like to know if there will be any new episodes of Gay of Thrones when Game of Thrones comes back. Uh, at this point, I'm only watching the HBO show so I can enjoy the recaps. Yes. I hope. Um, yeah, we're going to come back. That's the plan. We have to we have to see about Jonathan's schedule now. I feel like you made him a star. You kind of did. I taught him some things. I taught him some <laughs> things about how to be in Hollywood and on camera. Yeah. So Jonathan Van Ness, people don't know, is one of the new queer eye guys and star is taking off. But he was Aaron's hairstylist. And he am I is this? Yeah. Do I have he the story was, right? He used to talk about Game of Thrones. Yeah. He was trying to get another client in another chair to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> and he was describing it in the most insane way I've ever heard calling Robert Baratheon's she and <laughs> concentrating very heavily on her vest. And I went to Funnier Die. I was working at Funnier Die as a writer director at the time. And I, I said, um, I have an idea. Let's disrupt this system by putting a gay man in front of ca- the camera and letting him recap the most masculine dorky TV show on HBO. And they, I'm not going to say they were excited. It was a little bit of a, convincing mm-hmm. situation but they've been 100 percent supportive since the get-go even when i mean i would say it was successful ish when we started but it definitely like i think over time when you watch the first episode versus the last season we did it's totally different right and how involved are you now with it 100 i mean it's like it's my show yeah yeah so i do all the we have a writer's room now so i like hire oh, all those cool. people yeah um, I make the last minute phone call on Sunday when our celebrity guest has canceled because <laughs> it happens a lot because no one wants to do anything on Sunday night right. and I can't blame them. And I call my very talented imp- improv friends and I say, do you want to come do this? And they, you know, everyone's super game. Yeah. It's really fun. That's cool. It's really fun. And we had- always eat tender greens. <laughs> <laughs> had he performed before? No. See, you're the wind beneath his wings. Okay. He says I'm his um, usher to his Bieber. <laughs> let's do a quick round of just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have. 
one. This is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And then we weigh in. Sooner Magic says, when someone mispronounces a word, even if I know for sure they're wrong, I momentarily wonder if they know something I don't and I've been saying it wrong all along. Sometimes I do. Oftentimes I just think, no, I think you said that wrong. Do you say it out loud? Well, no, then I try to avoid saying it out loud so as to not correct them. Oh, oh you don't do the passive aggressive thing. of no. like It's actually... No. no, but sometimes I will just... Like... Like if Daniel says a word wrong, I'll be like, oh, it's actually this. And I think he, I think it hurts his feelings when I do that. But I'm like, I'm just, I got, to, I got gots to. <laughs> I got to. Also, like, just say, just learn, learn something. Yeah. I, I'm really sensitive when people like correct. Well, I'm sensitive when my husband does it. You're sensitive when he corrects you? I don't care when other people do it. I, I don't, because we're together so much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need 10% less of this. I, look. He, of him correcting you. Yes, because. Well, yeah, a, I get that. But I was educated in the South. There's a lot of shit I don't know and a lot of stuff I say wrong. He went to fucking choke mm. and lived in Switzerland and went to a private school. So like I am very sensitive. I'm I get like street rat style. Like, you don't tell me nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll punch you. Like it's like yeah. aggressive like that. I don't right. mean I'm not violent, no, but I I'm know. like I'm like makes get me- out of here, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should I should probably not ever correct him. No, how how not it's really not that often. I'm telling you I have been instructed on how I'm opening the bottle of wine wrong. Mm. The fact that I'm not putting enough salt in the water cooking pasta. Like I'm trying to learn things that he that that is definitely like Italian. Right. And he's like, and I'm like, oh, I'm still doing this thing wrong. Well, you just have to fucking eat it. Yeah. Because I'm done. Enjoy your unsalted pasta Enjoy water. your unsalted pasta water. James Leroy Wilson says, I wonder how much weight one loses by donating a kidney. Okay, so we had a fan phone call on the Thursday show, and we spoke to this guy, Todd, who had um, done an altruistic organ donation. So he gave his kidney to a stranger and saved that guy's life. And yes, that's a true angel. Truly. It made all of us feel guilty for having two kidneys. Uh, But yes, James Leroy Wilson, the whole time I was like, I do wonder how much weight. If you step on the scale afterwards, like how much, how much does a kidney weigh? I don't know. I feel like it's probably at most like a pound. Yeah. I feel like it's a one or two pounder. Yeah. It's no lung. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, So this is this person's diet plan? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to think of more organs you can do without. Would you, I would do that if I was already having another surgery. You know, I have often wondered if they can just bundle. Like if you're already going under... Could they also remove this mole or do this little thing or whatever? And I feel like in general they won't. Because I don't know. They are they have tight time frames on those. I just feel like they're just rooms. jerks about that. Yeah, I don't know. You probably don't want to. And also, do, do you have to be like a specialist? Like, is it? I don't know if one doctor Prob- can do right. all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Probably you want someone. Although who's if you get known- a lady in the surgery room, she can do whatever. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Dave Cross says. Sometimes I go on next door solely to block whiners. I, I'm like barely on. I'm aware of next door and I look at it, but never on my phone. And I'd never engage and I'm not even on there under my real name. I love next door. My neighborhood is full of the most complaining people in the world. And I just go on there to see what they're complaining about. Yeah. But I don't, but I don't necessarily, if you block them. Then there's nothing left. You, you have, have the there is no what there is yeah. no next door. Right. <laughs> that is what next door is. The next door is to make you realize you hate everyone who lives around you. 
and to get secrets about them. I found out one of my um, neighbors is a porn producer. How? Oh, I know what it was. So we were tr- so Ollie's trying to get our street permitted because it's one of the few permitted, not permitted streets in our mm. neighborhood, and that means that everyone parks there. Right. And our garage, it's a whole thing, but we can't park in our garage right now because mm. it's crumbling. So we're like. <laughs> Every day we go to park, it's a nightmare. That sounds awful. So he was like, okay, let's make it permanent. So then he started getting everyone's signatures, but he was missing one house. Mm. So he got their signature, but then he was like, I'm going to Google some of these people. Well, that was a bad idea because now we know what everyone does. And it's now we know that guy is a porn producer. That's And it makes sense when you see him. What's he look, what's he look like? Long hair, like a, too long hair, like a little bit of a roid body, like... <laughs> Too much upper body, not enough lower body. Right. Kind of look. Yeah. Drives like insanely expensive cars, but his house isn't great. Mm-hmm. And everything's a little bit off. Yeah. He seems like a lovely human. He's been nothing but nice and has invited us over for wine and I will now never go. Did not that he... he's going to try to like shoot a porn or like, ah, right. you're at my house to shoot a porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how they start, right? Yeah. Um, did he sign your petition? Yeah. I'm impressed. Like, I've never tried to get anything done like that. It's different when you... Can't park? Well, okay. No, I was going to say it's different when you own the place. And here's why. The people who were renting, there's like a couple of... There's a lot of multifamily units on the block. Mm. The people who were renting, we had to convince them that it was their right to do this. Right. Like, I, I was like, no, I'm allowed to do this thing because I live here and we own this place. And then... For the people renting, they're like, oh, it's not really my place. And I'm like, no, that's not how yeah. it works. You have, this is your home. You have the right to park here if you want to or need to. Right. It's a weird mentality. So then what do you do? You go to City Hall or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you have to have 50% of the street and uh, you go to City Hall. And then I don't know how long you wait. 17 years? No idea. <laughs> I don't know what happens. Well. I'll, I'll keep I you hope, posted. Yeah. I hope you get permitted. I do. Okay. Megan says, when I'm in line at the grocery store, I will stare down that divider until I can reach it and put it in place behind my groceries on the conveyor belt. If I forget and the person behind me does it, I feel like an asshole. Well, see, I don't know. I don't have that because I'm not, I feel like it's, I feel like you put down the divider in front of your stuff. I don't put the one behind me. I feel like that's the that's the purview of the person behind me. Oh. I don't know. I don't know the rule. That's just how I do it. I think I I didn't even think about it, but I do usually put it in front of me. Yeah. But you'd be making she, Megan feel like an asshole. Megan feels like it is her duty yeah. to do that for you. Right. Because someone has always done it for her. I get what a charmed life. <laughs> that's a pay it forward if I've ever heard it. <laughs> that really is. Remake that movie, which we need to do because we've got to... We have to remake all Kevin Spacey movies. Right, right. With women. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Megan also says, I often judge homeless people as irresponsible. She is letting it all hang out, and I love it. Often judge homeless people as irresponsible for keeping a dog when it's tough for them to take care of themselves. But in my what if I were homeless hypotheticals, I would want a dog with me for sure. I haven't had a lot of thoughts about this, but I will say there was this guy standing on like what is that strip of the on the median and he had this like a a guy begging 
begging for change. I don't know if he had a sign or not, but he had this backpack and he had this little poodle in the backpack. And Daniel said he's seen him there before. But the whole time I was watching him, I was worried about the poodle falling out of the backpack and into traffic. But I guess they've worked this out. That's what I was going to say. My thing is that I always think about the dog and not the person. And I've been trying to be more aware of that. They're both equally as like down and out. Although this, here's the thing. Poodles need a lot of grooming. And this poodle looked like pretty groomed, pretty attractive. Well, isn't it possible that that poodle was lost and that guy found it? That's another thing. Where Uh, I don't know. That's where they're getting the dogs. Yeah, I never thought about. They're not adopting the dogs. Right, right. Although I remember in New York once, you know, those like those van, I don't know. Like mobile vet clinics? Yes. Well, no, it was like a mobile adoption clinic. So you could walk onto a van and there were all these crates with animals that were, were up for adoption. And this guy came in and wanted to trade his guitar for a dog. Although he might not have been homeless. I don't know why I told this but story, then, but they but, wouldn't let him. But the, of course, that's what like, they were like wise, wise to that. Because you can't trade guitar strings for dog food. Right. That's not how that, we're not in a barter system. <laughs> I, I don't know. I It's hard because... Like the dog's outside all day. I guess it's better than being locked up in an apartment all day. Yeah. And it's better than, but here's the thing. I'm going to sound really like I'm a heartless person, but I don't, I'm not sure if that dog's better off than not existing. Oh, really? I think the dog probably is. I don't know. And often- it depends. It depends what the dog and homeless person's lifestyle is. I know. Like, but- are they being properly fed? But you're right. The alternative is that that dog goes to a shelter and might not make it out. There's just. By the way, I'm not saying this is nothing negative against homeless people. I'm just stating what I know. But the way we operate in this country is if you have a mental illness or anything that like that's, um, you know, you need medication for, oftentimes you're going to end up on the street. Yeah. And a lot of people with um, that who need mental health assistance are on the street. And I know from researching homeless women, there's a lot of sexual assault. So. It does depend on where that where they are. Mm-hmm. I I just can't imagine there's not some fucked up stuff happening. I'm sure there is, yeah. But but if it's not happening, then I'm okay with it. <laughs> well put. <laughs> because I feel like dogs are actually like we all have. We give our dog in L.A. Everyone kind of gives their dogs a pretty froofy lifestyle with you know expensive food and all sorts of. All sorts of frippery. However, I feel like dogs are actually quite hardy, can survive on like scraps, and are very devoted to their owner. So as I say, as long as they're not being mistreated, I am okay with it. My dog would rather eat chicken bones off the street yeah, than what I'm feeding him. Right. And I feed him chicken. There's My something dog- about it. <laughs> My dog will only eat her kibble if it's hand fed to her. <gasps> and... Princess. Yeah. Oh boy, is she. And then I think she can't really be hungry because if she were really hungry, she would eat it off of a, out of a bowl or off the floor or whatever. Like if she got hungry enough, but I think she wouldn't. I think she only wants it out of your hand. But would she, is it the, have you tried different dishes to serve it out of? Yeah. It's that she's not that into the kibble. Like if she's hungry enough, she'll eat the kibble. If it's hand fed to her, but in jet, but like if I, if I drop anything else she wants, she's on it really fast. Interesting. Yeah. She's just not a fan of the locale kibble. Oliver. Oh, she's on locale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Try out, put her on the keto diet. That's what I'm on. 
keto or whatever. Oh, you are? Yeah. If I had known that, we could have talked about that for this entire episode. <laughs> How is that going for you? I Get ready for the I'm most ready. Los Angeles thing you ever heard. Okay. I love it. And you, my brain, I know I you, forgot you a couple things. thinking more clearly and you have more energy? All the things. All the things. And I'm still drinking wine every once in a while. Are you testing your urine? No, I'm not going that far. But So how do you know that you're... I mean, I guess I don't, but I feel a lot different. And I feel sane again. Mm. I feel like... I felt, I felt crazy. I couldn't remember stuff. I was waking up and unable to like... I mean, I'm going to make myself sound insane, but like... I was waking up and just being like, oh, where's my purse? Where's all this stuff? And it was, I felt like I was losing my mind. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing it? Almost a week. You know what else is crazy? Wait, really? Yeah. Just just almost only, okay. I had a <laughs> voice problem where I was getting some weird drainage or something. And my like voice, what I'm having. <laughs> my voice was super weak and I would it would like peter out. Uh-huh. Can you say that anymore? I don't know if that's a weird thing. Oh, wait. Why wouldn't you be able to? I don't know. What is it a reference to? I have no is idea. It a reference to a dick not working? And my voice is petering out right now. It <clears throat> has all stopped. That's all stopped. My voice is back. And I'm not lactose intolerant anymore because I'm not combining cheese with carbs. Mm-hmm. I'm just eating cheese like your dog out of a hand. <laughs> Were you eating a lot of carbs before? I I was, but I was not aware of it. So right. I was re- eating a lot of granola in the morning and then having a sandwich for mm-hmm. lunch and then having a bottle of wine at night. Interesting. So I don't do any of – I drink – I have like a glass of wine every – like once every two days. Had you considered doing it for longer than just a week ago? Because I feel like I saw you posting something on Instagram Yes, that longer was, than a week maybe ago. Maybe that was last week. Wait, maybe I've been doing it. Oh, see, this isn't good for the clear-headedness. No. Okay. I started doing it. What day is it? No, it's right. It was last week because we, oh yeah, because my friend Allison was like, my parents are, another Allison, mm-hmm. who spells the names, her names very similarly. No, exactly the same. Yeah. One L. Is it Allison Becker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her parents were in town. She's like, come meet my, come say hi to my parents. We're going to have pizza. So mm. I was like, we're going on the keto diet tomorrow, <laughs> not this Monday. So yeah, it's been two weeks. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. I completely gave up carbohydrates and was like very strict about it for maybe like six to eight months. And I found that it was easy, like, because I, like when at a, at a restaurant, the bread and butter, like I love, like I always oh, joke yeah. that I want to be buried in a bread basket with a lot of butter. I mean, it's my favorite. But I found that when it was just like, oh, I just don't eat that. It was so much easier than I'm just going to have a little bit. There's no little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if you just don't eat it, then you can fill up on other things like delicious celery. No, <laughs> but I like, this morning I had like chicken sausage and an egg with avocado on it. It was mm. delicious. Yeah, high fat diets. This is the way to do it. It is. It is. There is more and better delicious food than if you're doing like just a low cal diet. I, I freaked out. Dieting in general, I think, is really hard. Yeah, and I have never done it because it's impossible but if i can have some things that i like and eat whole milk and i don't feel like i'm gonna like shoot into space (laughs) it's great shoot into space off of the my gas Mm -hmm. yeah yeah just want to make sure i understood and you did did you have headaches at the beginning or anything like that i had one day where i was really exhausted yeah i freaked out over the pregnancy weight gain 
And I'm like, I've got to stop. Like, okay, so I gained a lot of weight with my first pregnancy. And I was like, this next time, and then I lost it, thankfully. But still, I was like, I'm never doing that to myself again. Because um, was it hard to take off? It actually, I've heard when you breastfeed, it's you burn a lot of calories. Yeah, it it just took a long time because I gained so much. Mm-hmm. It really, when I think about it, it wasn't that hard to take it wasn't like I was really struggling to take it off like I just was watch you know I was counting my calories and I was exercising and then it kind of thankfully did come off but I mean it took like a year <laughs> because I had gained so much um and so then I'm like this next pregnancy I am definitely doing things differently I'm not going to gain as much da, da, da. um and then like in my first trimester I gained like, exactly how much I gained in my first trimester last time and that's when I'm like okay I think this is a little bit out of my control <laughs> like this is Absolutely. just what my body does in pregnancy which is, I don't want to accept that. But anyway, before I accepted that, I was like, I've got, I've got to stop this pregnancy weight gain. I'm just going to, and, and cutting out carbs is like one of the first things I do often when I want to lose weight. Like I'm going to cut out carbs. And I made it till about 10 PM that night. And I felt so sick. And I was like, I I don't think I can do this while I'm pregnant. Um, but then I emailed my OB and I asked him and he said, I said it because I there was this question of like, is it even safe in right. pregnancy? And he said it's fine as long as you're eating vegetables every day, because that's where you're getting your you're getting like good carbohydrates. I don't know. I don't. I I, I had more questions, but I decided not to follow up because <laughs> like because I was like it was too uncomfortable. I can't do it anyway. I'm gonna ask him when I see him. I mean, yeah, it made me wonder like what is it that's in the car that's in the vegetables that you need or I don't know. It feels to me like a reset of being aware of what I've been eating Mm because I will just eat whatever I want. And that's not great. I mean, I was eating like, oh, there's zucchini bread at this place where I'm writing and having coffee. I'll just eat it. Zucchini bread. It's so good. So loaded with all sorts of things, but it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. But I, you can't like, there's, there's the end game with that is that I had I got high cholesterol. You know you did. Yeah, my blood pressure was not good, and I was unhealthy. I get a physical every year, and he was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> like it's the zucchini bread. Yeah. So I can't just eat what I want anymore. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I don't feel. I don't feel. That's the thing about this particular thing. I don't feel like I'm missing anything because right. I'm getting to eat brie. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You're a commercial for it. I know. Aaron Gibson, it was delightful catching up with you. I love coming on the show. I love having you on the show. Congratulations on the book. Everyone needs to go out and get it. Feminasty. Feminasty. Let me see. Oh, let's see if I can do it. The Complicated Woman's Guide to Surviving the Patriarchy Without Drinking Herself to Death. Well done. (gasps) Did I get it? Yes. Did I get all the words correct? That was perfect. And I have a website, feminasty.com, if you want to see my book events or order the book from a big box real t- retailer or an indie retailer, <laughs> depending on who you're comfortable with. Yeah, it's all there. And uh, tell them where else they sh- can find you and what they should look out for and stuff. Okay. My Twitter is Giblertron. That's my last name if I was a robot. That's the same <laughs> as my Instagram. And we're going to be on tour this fall and I'm going to be doing book events at the same time. Wonderful. Let's see if I make it through. <laughs> you will. It'll you be, will. It'll be fun. You've already started doing book events. Yeah. I saw you did something at the Soho House. Yeah, I did right? a little tiny book event. Yeah. How was it? Really good. It was. I was, I'm always nervous when it's strangers who don't know me because mm-hmm. there's a, you know, I have to ex- explain who I am and I'm weird and here's what you're getting. <laughs> but it went really well and they were really excited about it. One lady didn't love 
I said, I signed her book and I said, stay nasty. <laughs> I like that. And she goes, do you think I'm nasty? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do actually. And she was like, what? She was hurt. And I was like, where did you, were you at the talk? Yeah. I call myself a cunt at the beginning. <laughs> uh, okay. Everyone go get the book and follow. Oh, and I have a book out tropical attire and courage and other <gasps> phrases that scare me. Um, if you go to my website, there's many places to click. That'll take you right to Amazon where you can get it available in all formats. Uh, and also follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen shows, Twitter feed at, a-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Follow me on Instagram. Um, we can have some kind of argument that'll make me late for podcasts. <laughs> I'm Allison Rosen on there. Everything else, ringtones, t-shirts, other stuff that I'm forgetting right now on my website, allisonrosen.com. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and rate and all that stuff. Thank you again. Thanks, Allison. Thank you for listening. Love you guys. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 